So tonight I have Tony back on the podcast here, and the last time we spoke was right fall, correct? Yeah, uh, early fall. I think it was even the week before deer season. Oh yes, there before we both seasons started here in Wisconsin. So what we're gonna do, what we're gonna talk about tonight is we're gonna, we're gonna break, down, we're gonna talk about our hunting seasons like that, and just go back and forth. And there's a few topics we're actually gonna get into. So why don't you start off with your your hunting season? Um, I had one of the better hunting seasons I've had in a long, long time. I ended up, uh, I was able to shoot a nice eight point buck with my bow. Uh-huh. I shot a doe a week later with my bow. Wow. And then during the gun season, I was able to shoot three adult does. Very cool. Uh, throughout the opening weekend, I hunted the rest of the week during the gun season and didn't uh, mm-hmm. get a chance by, by then with five deer in the freezer, I was kind of on helping people, Fill our you know, tags. family and friends and, and doing drives and kind of helping them out more than sitting in a tree stand myself. But, um, I ended up shooting a, shooting that buck with my bow. I had my son with me. Oh uh, yeah. We were in a tree stand together and uh-huh. that was the second. We had a, um, smaller buck walk underneath us. Okay. And then this one was probably about a 17 inch eight pointer. I I got the rack out hanging up on the wall of the garage. So oh, you decided just to do the, just do a rack mount instead of doing a European mount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just doing a rack mount. I mean, it's, I contemplated it, but I just, with time and, and everything i just decided to do the rack right on the wall in the garage with the other mm-hmm. other ones i got mm-hmm. hanging up there too so it was it was nice we actually i was you know able to take uh those five deer which which helped the freezer out quite a bit um, i got to do something really kind of neat this year i mentored my nephew in his first uh, mentored gun hunt in okay. early october uh-huh. um, it was his first time he had sat with my sister uh, his ma bow hunting a couple times and, right uh she was able to shoot a deer two years ago with him in the stand well this year was his first year out and he had taken hunter safety and we went to the did the youth hunt with him and uh, we were sitting by my on my folks property and we had a 10 pointer walk up to about 40 yards and stood broadside to us in the middle of an open field wow and he shot that, made an amaz- amazing heart shot on the deer. Mm-hmm. And we got that. So his first deer was about a 10-pointer a with about a 20-inch spread Holy on buckets. It. That's, that's uh, setting the bar high. Yeah, he shot it. And I go, and we, you know, I videotaped him coming up to it, took a ton of pictures. Mm-hmm. It was early enough in the hunt to where we could field dress it in the light. And we drug it out of there. And, and I get I get done dragging. I, t- I told him, I go, it's going to be a, don't think next year this is going to happen like this. Yeah, exactly. So it, it was, it was really kind of special. It was, it was nice. We got to spend a couple hours in the, you know, sitting up against some round bales uh-huh. and sitting in the brush and kind of talking. We were having a good time and we we're just lucky enough to where this deer came out with an easy gun range. Yeah. And, uh, that was the one thing I was nervous about. You know, he, he hadn't shot a ton. He had sighted it, sighted the rifle in but wasn't really uh, proficient at shooting a rifle. And mm-hmm. I was contemplating on what ranges we're looking at for a, for a, you know, a, a young kid that hadn't shot that much. So we mm-hmm. were lucky enough that this buck just came within uh, easy range and, and he was able to take, I was really proud of him. So mm-hmm. he got enough uh, venison for, for my sister and her family and everything. So that's awesome. It was nice. Very nice. So what did he uh, harvest animal with? I believe he shot it with a 
single shot 243 very cool i be- uh, i believe it was a 243 is my my dad borrowed him the gun to mm-hmm. use to use during the season i th- think that was the I think that was the gun. If my dad listens to this, he'll probably like that wasn't the gun I borrowed to him. I don't have a <laughs> single shot two forty three, but it it was a it was it was a, a gun easy enough for a for a young new hunter to use. It Good. wasn't something that that would kick a whole lot. So and he had shot it before a couple weeks before sighting it in and everything. So he was comfortable with the with the rifle in itself. So it was really kind of nice. I get it. It's it's when you're setting up a young hunter with a gun, you like you want to make sure it's, he's he's able to handle because it it's like you don't also want to ha- stick him with a 300 wind mag because that's gonna that's gonna make him feel uncomfortable and may leave a bad impression for him, mm-hmm. you know. But when you looked at it and you gave him the, the proper the firearm for him, it's like he nailed it. They're right. It's like he was. It's really good to see that he had a, such a, a positive experience. Yeah, it was. It was a, it was a lot of fun. the The worst part about it was dragging the deer out. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It was it was a pretty rough. How far drag. was it out there? How, well, how, the, frame it. How far did you have to drag it to the truck? It was it was downhill, but it was through some thick woods. Ooh, which it wasn't terrible. The problem was, I mean, it had died in a field, but the the field we don't own our, our the neighbor to the property owns and he lets us walk through the field to access this part of our property he's a very nice guy and mm-hmm. and uh it died in the field there and we could have the at that time if you remember in october it was really rainy mm-hmm. and the fields were just muddy and stuff we couldn't yeah. it was either a drag downhill or across an open field mm-hmm. but i would have you know damaged some of his crops so i'm just like i'm just going to drag it right downhill it won't be that bad. Well, <laughs> I was pretty gassed by the time I got done because John, he's, he's, uh, wouldn't have been able to drag it out all on his own. So I, I gave him a headlamp and mm-hmm. I had a, a headlamp and I said, you pick the way and just go down and I'll follow you and you can kind of move some of the brush out of the way mm-hmm. and I'll drag mm-hmm. it down. But it was, I got down to the bottom of the hill and I was gassed <laughs> and I, I hadn't, I hadn't been gassed at dragging out a deer out in a long, long time, uh-huh. but it was, uh, we ended up it was we we weighed it and it was 215 pounds wow field dressed field dressed okay yeah we got a scale out of the out of where we're hunting and we weighed it Mm -hmm. It was 215 so it was it was definitely one of them bucks that was getting all fat ready for the rut so oh so you got him right before he started rutting yeah i think the youth hunt in wisconsin this last year i want to say it was like early to mid-october i think it was like october 12th right around that range yeah something like that yeah so um, they were just getting ready to start mm-hmm. uh, putting on the miles, so it was it was a real pleasant experience to be able to do that. And then, you know, just to to take a nice buck with with my son was was really nice. The second time we've mm-hmm. done that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, I've I've been lucky this year. Yeah, very, you had a very, very fortunate year. Now yeah. watch next year, you just a drought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's it's one of those things where. You know, I've I've had those years where it's just, you can't do nothing right. And yeah, I know what you, you mean. This, this, wrong. That was my year this year. But what I did find out is I did something. I did I made such a little impact to the property that all the deer stayed daylight. It mm-hmm. just I, it was just timing. That's all it was. Well, for Christmas, my fiance bought me a spy point cellular cam. Yeah, and we're sticking right where I where I shot my buck the year before. And it's like, but I'm looking forward to it because it's like you can you can have it send because they give they have a free plan that you can do 
but one you can do also a three three month plan like where you get unlimited everything then you can do a year long plan for unlimited everything as well mm-hmm. it just the downside is if you do something like that your battery life's going to drain really rapidly so the you can also purchase a sell your unit on top of it but that's like another 250 bucks so that's that's not cheap and then uh, but the nice thing was is that uh, the spy point was offering a antenna for free and i just i actually just got them in the mail like two weeks ago mm-hmm. so i don't need it because it's like a, where i hunt at i got great cellular service so it's like i'm pretty excited to set it up but i'm most excited about the uh, upcoming turkey season because i have cameras that i have not touched since i left since the last time i was out there so i am looking forward to it to seeing what i have because i had three cameras out there and i had two out there right now and uh, I'm hoping that the be able to see over the winter what's been going on and maybe hopefully see some turkeys because right now I've only seen my same group of uh, toms and so I'm not sure what what's going to be the outlook for hens. I'm hoping there's going to be a lot more toms there, but you never know how they the pecking order can work out for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good idea to leave those cameras up year-round. You mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, they're fun to play around with and mess around with, so they're... You know, we got a couple in the backyard here, and they're they're on right now, and we haven't uh-huh. messed around with them in a while. It'd be interesting to see. Um, I always kind of like watch, seeing if I can't get a picture of a buck with only one of its antlers dropped. Yeah, I think that'd be kind of neat to see, and then see if you can't find them and mm-hmm. know when they're dropping, because that's kind of this time of the year is when they it's start true. dropping. Unfortunately, we got to sift through. 16 to 20 inches of snow to be able to find them so yes and we got more <laughs> snow coming to, uh, this even this weekend so it's going to be uh, i have no idea when the next time i'm going to be able to get out to the field and actually do something about it but i've i've found that if you go out and check your cameras on a warmer day like today because it, it peaked like 45 or something like that that's when you can really get a really uh, a good idea on what life is left in your batteries because mm-hmm. if you go out there when it's free at, at third at below freezing it's just, it's just that cold's going to just destroy, drain your batteries rapidly, you know, and you're not going to get a clear understanding of it because usually when it gets when it, when it gets really cold, you don't really see a whole lot of movement anyway. So it's like, well, I'll just leave them as it is. And then when it warms up, they'll kind of rejuvenate in a way. And then it's like you go out there and look. It's like, hmm, I didn't have to replace them after all. It's like then you just threw away some good batteries that you didn't realize you didn't need to take care of. That is a good uh, idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I found that uh, last year when I was doing it with my uh, – couple of my moultries and such like that i'd check them at one point in time it was down to like 13 percent. then i come back when it was in the mid 40s to 50s and i was up in the at 70 percent. so it's like okay so that there's there is a little change in the battery power as it dips cold and cold i mean mm-hmm. it's something that we that's pretty that anybody that records themselves in, the, in in late season understands the 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 lack of uh, how much what when you're running your your cameras and how much power it draws out of that battery because like it's from listening to Steve Rinella and several of the other guys, like they have tons of batteries when they go out there, when they go out filming late season in Montana, Alaska, all out west and such. Yeah, I even noticed that with uh, cell phone batteries. Mm-hmm. If they get cold, they'll drain, but if you warm them up, mm-hmm. they kind of get a little bit more power, or they'll, you'll see the percentage of the power increase as they warm up. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. always kind of been a issue a guy hunting late season is is electronic and anything running on batteries will will uh those batteries will drive pretty dang quickly yes they do yeah so at least you had a pretty good year because now for my my year was challenging because it's like my fiance worked on the weekends and say and we only had one vehicle to really is that fuel like the it had fuel economy because like I have my big old truck. It's like it's it does not have gas miles per thing, and it's like it's a it's such a far trip. 
And I, I gave her the argument that it's like, due to how far it is, it's like, it would be nice to be able to get someone that's wireless or cellular device this way. Then we're not traveling back and forth. So if we can see movement in the morning, then we can try to get out there as fast as we can or, or whatever it is. So this way we can kind of get an idea when these bucks are start coming around and there's, they're coming out of the fields and such, and they're starting to figure out where they're going to, where they're going to start claiming their territory in a sense. And that was really frustrating for me. Cause it's like, I wanted to be out as I did as much as I possibly could. And it's just one of those things where I just didn't, I had, I didn't have the time lined up to match everything out. So I did all, all in all, it was still a good learning year. Cause it's like, I wanted to, I was following uh, Jeff Helmer's advice, like going out there on certain key points in time. Cause he only sets maybe four or five times a year and just kill some monster bucks. Just absolutely monster. He owns uh, the uh, big racks there in Holman. And so okay. I just kind of, I was p- been talking to him and listening to him and how it, just taking his advice and how I should approach my season, which it had its pluses and minuses. I have to admit to that, but what we found, though, is that consistently over the last several years, we have a lot of buck movement right during Halloween. And so and this year we had, like I, I sent you the videos, we had one buck never seen before, and we had uh, Darkman show up again. It's like, yes, he's still alive. He made it through another year. And so I'm hoping this, I'm hoping I'll be able to catch him on the cams over the wintertime just to see if he's still out there and still alive, that he survived shotgun and muzzleloader and then the last piece of uh, archery season so we'll see how that all breaks down now i, I tried i tried my uh a little bit of turkey hunting now did you did you go out turkey hunt this year or not uh this last yes i did go out this last year mm-hmm. uh took a couple days off of work and hit uh, uh the family property and some public land in the area too mm-hmm. i uh i had a blast i had it seemed like every time i went hunting i had turkeys in by me mm-hmm. only hens I went, see, the turkey season started on Wednesday. I hunted that all day. I, right away in the morning, I had a turkey fly in mm-hmm. to my set. Mm-hmm. It, that was a hen. Hunted all day, and that was didn't have any turkeys that day, the rest of that day. The next morning, I went out, didn't see anything. In a midday, I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone who turkey hunts. Mm-hmm. I was kind of getting a little bit disgusted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he goes, man, I'd sit at night, just sit along up against a field, put your decoy out, and don't call. Just see what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went out there, and I had, you know how you're sitting on the ground, and you got like a tree mm-hmm. up up behind you. Mm-hmm. And I had my feet laying out extended, and I bet you a, I had a hen turkey three, four feet from the end of my feet walking past me in a cut cornfield. No kidding. Yeah, I yeah, could not close. believe how close that. I mean, like, and just when you can hear it drumming, mm-hmm. you know oh. you're close when you hear the wow. that little hum. I have not heard that. I did not know they make a drumming sound. I yeah. will have to pay attention the next time this this upcoming spring when I get out there and turkey hunt. Mm-hmm. It is close, and I you know I had a had my shotgun with me. I know you archery hunt for mm-hmm. turkey. for turkeys. Yeah, and that's the way that's the way to go in Minnesota because you get so much along. Yeah, longer season it, well it, go, it's, it goes both sides of the border you know like even Wisconsin you have a long distance for it and for, for how far like for people to travel it's like sometimes it's easy it's a little more difficult because either A you got to get really close to lop their heads off or B you have to go for their legs because it's like you can go through their body and do a lot of damage to their cavities and stuff like that but if they can run you can lose them and like listening to more experienced hunters they've said that's like if you don't hit them right in when you're archery hunting they'll just take off on you and a lot of them quit because it's just it's a lot easier just to go 
with the shotgun because it's like you're able to hit right where you want to be. You'll you'll damage less meat. But it's like I just like that challenge is because of how little time I actually have to get it between my busy schedule and everything like that. It's like it just works great for me. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward to this upcoming season. Uh, cross my fingers. I, I partnered up with uh, Axe Outdoors, and they're gonna. It's like I've been telling them. It's like I'm I'm excited about going out. And they're gonna sit. I'm, one of them is is bound and determined to get me on some birds. Nice. Whether it be here in Wisconsin or over in Minnesota, he wants to make it happen for me either this spring or this fall. Well, I think we'll probably just do both anyway, just because it's like why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna this next season here. I got second season in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I probably won't take days off to work i think i just might hunt the evenings and then on the weekends okay um because i'm taking those days off in april as a i have a uh uh fire department conference okay. in indianapolis i'll be going to oh no kidding with my fire chief it's the biggest fire department conference in the world fdic okay and uh, uh we got tickets to go to that for a couple days so i have to take days off for that and all of my vacation days at work are basically earmarked for um, hunting and family vacations. Oh no! So. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I, I got I got a week off for the wedding, and then we we've already put in a request time off for the Halloween hour. So it's like we're we're on top of it this year because this way, if I not if I only be able to hunt Halloween, I am gonna make sure I'm out there every single day. The land the the, the guy who owns land is great, so it's like I will set up a tent in the back of my truck and I will wait there and I'll get up early in the morning and get out there and walk mm-hmm. wait for it so yeah. like Ruby wanted to say hi yeah <laughs> she's she should be tired all the snow she was running around there earlier today oh yeah it's like I, when I listen to the, our podcast man it's like all of a sudden Ruby barks goes off it's like that ah, is just absolutely hilarious uh, so it's, it, it's, it was it was a cool experience mm-hmm. it's just like all of a sudden it's like whoa where am I at here <laughs> <laughs> yep she actually uh, I went out duck hunting for the first time this last year in 14 years yeah, you told me about that. You actually had a pretty, you had a success. Yeah, I uh, was able to the first shot, shot a uh, female wood duck. Okay, and I never touched another bird. After and that. I, after that, and I went through about a box and a half of shells. Oh wow! Um, I was like, I got a good friend of mine, uh, Jesse Smith. He mm-hmm. he took me out a bunch, and and Ruby was real young, and she was able to retrieve that wood duck after some coaxing. Uh, we went and and. And him and his father, we went out, the three of us, and he, his father shot a duck, and Ruby went out and got that. And, I mean, she'll she'll go out and get him. I just think she needs to have a hunter that can uh, drop more ducks than me <laughs> hunting with her. I okay. don't think it's her. I think it's mostly me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've been a, a archery hunter since I was 12, and I've only been a – I went duck hunting a couple times when I was 12. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm, you know, 34 – that my my wing shooting isn't what what it, it could be what it could be so i got a little bit of practice doing that but mm-hmm. um yeah she was able to do do fantastic out in the out in the duck blind it was a lot of fun having her out there so that's awesome it was it, fun like uh when i go down to the in-laws down in illinois it's like when we drive by the uh illinois river there we just see blinds just miles of blinds because it's like they live right on the river but there's also it's like the there's a row that pretty much uh, parallels the entire uh river there and you just look out and you see them all throughout the area right there like it's it's they're right there literally in the thorough player i guess um uh tommy from that used to play for the twins here a few years back he actually mm-hmm. owns some land just north of peoria illinois and i guess he owns a good chunk of it and it's like he bought it strictly for the whitetail and uh duck season really but it's but uh listening to um 
uh, the gentleman that has a restaurant in uh, Toronto, Calgary, I don't remember, but he says the best duck hunting, if you really want to get in, is out, is out there on the West Coast, right there in Oregon and uh, Washington, because you'll get more prettier birds. And on top of the two, it's like there, there's rice. There's a lot of rice fields out oh, there. Oh, really? And that's why they that's why they go through there. Similar to what they go through here in the Corn Belt, because we mm-hmm. have this corn and the soybean, and we just got a lot of land for them to, to they like they must they feel safe coming through here. And uh, what was it? It was in the nineties where we when we how we changed the whole crop uh, approach to it all. That's what kind of mm-hmm. blossomed all of our uh, birds again. So it's just we're in literally in the heyday of every type of hunting except for uh, uh, elk and moose and yeah, yeah, they're pretty much the only two animals that were still on on the recovery. You know, antelopes are getting up there quite a ways too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely the uh, if you want to get into hunting, this is definitely the time, the time and the generation to do it. Oh yes, and there's a lot of animals, a lot of opportunity, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of good guys that are willing to help people out mm-hmm. and get them started. It's a lot of fun. Oh yes, especially when it comes down to bird hunting, it's like it's it's all bragging rights there because like you can show people your spots there. It's like if the birds there, they're not they're either there or they're not, mm-hmm. and it's it, it, you'd be able to if you're on a hot spot bringing people in. It's just like the first time out there. It's just it's the best way to do it. I want to get out there and do some ducking. My uncles when I was growing up were big into duck hunting. I just I was at the time I didn't have the passion I do now for it. So I was more into more video games at the time instead of being outside. And uh, I just now it's like okay, well I got a really nice 1100 20 inch barrel, so it's like I can I get some reach out there, and I got a bunch of ammunition stuff. So like you needed some, all you need is like hey I need some more ammunition. It's like I still have like a hundred and like 25 rounds sitting in my in my house right now, so it'd be perfect. It's like seven shot with uh, two and three quarter inch shells. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, you'll get you'll get some distance. Very cool. Yeah, we uh, duck hunting is one of those sports where you don't have to sit and be quiet. For that's hours on end, so like that for that true. first, but you get wet. Yeah, that is that is. <laughs> and you can get cold. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of one of those trade offs, you know. You you can sit in a tree stand for eight hours mm-hmm. and not have to move and, and can't move a muscle. Or when we were duck hunting with a group of guys, you're sitting there talking to them and mm-hmm. spitting sunflower seeds and doing mm-hmm. all that stuff mm-hmm. and shooting ducks when they'd fly over or shooting at them in my case <laughs> and uh, ha- having a great time. So it was kind of it was a nice uh, change to what I'm used to and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna mm-hmm. continue to do it. Uh, my buddy he goes, when are we gonna go duck hunting? And I go, you'll know when I post a picture <laughs> of me with a buck. Okay. There then go. you'll know I'll want to go duck hunting mm-hmm. because I'll have my buck filled, buck tag filled. Good approach. And, that, and that's Very basically how it went, went about there. Um, as soon as I got my buck tag filled, we started going duck hunting a little bit more. And mm-hmm. we did some early early on in the season. Uh, that way I could get uh, my son Henry out in the blind yeah. uh, with us. But, you know, it was, it was a good time, good experience for all of us. Do you think he'd, he'd be able to handle a 410? Um, we had him shooting a 243 here a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, Christmas for the grandkids here were sponsored by the NRA, and mm-hmm. all the grandkids got guns from my from my parents. Okay. Um, so we had a 243 that he got. Mm-hmm. Um, he shot that. It came with a uh, 20 gauge barrel. We have you know it's one of those Rossi single shots, mm-hmm. and he had the 243, and I could swap that 20 gauge on there. That might be a springtime. See if we got some 20 gauge, like real light loads Mm -hmm. to try them out at first. The problem with with some of those single shot shotguns is they're a lighter, just lighter weight gun. Yes. Um, 
So you're probably easy to feel a lot more uh, in, uh, gas hitting his shoulder than normal. Yeah, I got a, I got an older Savage over and under 20 gauge and 22. Okay. And by far, that's the hardest kicking gun I have because that gun weighs nothing. Oh, I got. There's you. no weight to it, so all that, you know, all that twenty gauge, yeah. all that compression is going right in your shoulder. It's an older gun, doesn't have a recoil pad on it mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. and and it's it's fun to shoot because it's you know you can you're going squirrels, rabbits, anything. It's kind of like the go to, you know, under the seat of the truck type of gun. It's really nice to have, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, that that thing kicks real hard. But you're getting if you're gonna get uh, young kids, you kind of. You know, start them out with the BB gun, then the twenty two, then mm-hmm. maybe either like a two two three if they want to see how far mm-hmm. they can shoot. Because I mean, you're you know, you're shooting a twenty two, maybe fifty yards. You're gonna start seeing your groups get a little bit bigger, and they start to get a little bit discouraged. But you can yeah. take like a two two three, and they can start stacking bullet holes into a sheet of paper. That's with true. That, that's so. some that's some cheap ammunition too. So it's like that's just a lot of fun right there. Mm-hmm. Especially if you look at. Um, Federal Ammunition or Winchester. I mean, those guys crank out some really good ammunition, so be able to get some good prices on that. I know it's like I know this uh, this upcoming spring, I'm gonna get my little one in front of the BB gun, and I'm gonna teach her how to sight that in at like at like like ten yards, stuff like that, just to kind of get her in the repetition of something like that. A little light, little scope, easy to go for. So I'll put it in the lead slide and just have a little some fun with that. Mm-hmm. I'm sure my dad, my old man, will be excited about that because we'll turn it into a uh, whole uh, weekend because she likes doing these whole things about. Uh, going down to grandpa's and we'll start we'll good. We'll get down there on Friday. We'll just hang out. And then Saturday it's go time for fishing. And then, then Sunday it's like, it all depends on how, how was hunt sun beaten dad and uh, grandpa and I are. That's where we make a decision. about it. Cause there's been a couple times where we had such a great Saturday. It's like, I think Sunday we're just going to take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just cause it's like the sun just beats you up. Yeah. And, uh, and when you, when you're hanging with your friends and family, it's like, you know, you're, you're not going to just have one beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That uh, those summer days mm-hmm. can can wear on you after a while, but it's it's always it's always good to be outside. And we we take the uh, my son and and nephews and nieces out, and mm-hmm. if you can keep up with them, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that is very very true. Uh, yeah, because I'm looking forward to this upcoming spring because I got my my shift at work changed, so now I get off earlier. Half of work, so I'm hoping that I can reduce my hour lunch to a half hour. So I'll be done at 3:30. Get out there and hammer the 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 bass and the pike because uh, I had just a phenomenal spring last year for hitting the pike. And the bass were hit and miss because I had, I had to go in different like different spots for those. But in the pike, we're just hitting hard. Uh, now, uh, now you said you with your five deer. Did you happen to get them tested for CWD? No, I didn't. Um, you know, I thought about it a lot. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's something, it's something that a guy should do. And if looking back on it, maybe I should mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. um, but it's not the easiest thing to do. There's not a lot of places to take deer to get them tested. That's true. That, that's um, one thing I noticed here in the, the little cross area. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we still, you know, work for a living we are cutting up, you know, you get a couple deer, you got to cut them up. Mm-hmm. I do all my own processing. And by the time it popped into my mind, it was all, you know, deer season had really been said and done. It was all over. So I didn't get them tested. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's something that in the future that, 
you know, if hunters in Wisconsin want to take this seriously, that we're going to have to start testing more deer to get more data for scientists to be able to determine if this is a, um, a serious thing, which it, it, it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those things where it's, it's always ever changing. When we CW has been around for 50 plus years, right? Nanaka, well, we have no confirmed cases transferring from a whitetail from a wild animal to into a human yet, knock on wood. And, but it's one of those things like where we have the flu virus that, that's always ever evolving, but I don't think it's that aggressive since it's only found there. And it's listening to uh, Dr. Frank uh, Bastian out of, uh, out of Pennsylvania. He was talking about, he's got a really aggressive approach because he, he believes it's, it's, there's a prion found, but he believes it's caused by a bacteria. That bacteria is a spiroplasma, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting to hear about. And uh, I was I, I listened to the video several times, and I, I found the transcript of it. And that's why I sent you earlier today, and myself. I'm kind of looking from this, and it's like, it's just interesting in how he he has a very aggressive plan with it because he believes that within the next possibly the next year he's going to be able to develop a hunter test kit for the field. So this way they can test it immediately right after they've been harvested. And I think that's a that's a great invention right there because that's going to really streamline the process for the dnr and this way they can send those samples off and the dnr can be focused on more uh necessary items than you get done with because that's going to be a huge thing because it's like if this gets crossed all across the states that whitetail because right now we're in 25 states of the lower 48 so more than half have cwd and that's just going to be massive now on top of it too you can also they can use it for um, moose and elk too because it's it's found in both of those animals both those megafauna Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was when I read that today. I was the uh, first point where he was talking about having a, a hunter test kit. I I got I got really excited. I think that's something mm-hmm. that uh, is definitely something that that hunters are going to have to start looking at if if they're going to take this if we're all going to take this thing mm-hmm. seriously and and be have Wisconsin be on the forefront of fighting this disease. We have a uh, culture of, of deer hunters in Wisconsin. It's one of the things Wisconsin's known for is deer hunting. Yes. We should be on the forefront of, of combating this disease and, mm-hmm. and taking serious steps into either mitigating it or learning as much as we can about it. So we can make educated guesses or educated decisions. I think um, a lot of the people that uh, discuss CWD, they either have hopes and dreams or they have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, science backing them up, and then one scientist will disagree with the other scientist, and it, it, it's confusing. And for a, a person that's reading articles trying to figure out what's mm-hmm. best for him and his family and the deer herd, it isn't easy. Yes, that's very true because it's like, I, uh, I'm sure I can find it again, but there is a scientific website that has a collection of articles regarding CWD that's been posted for the last 20, 30 years, and uh, it's and it's like it has doctors from all across the country. Like the one I read here a couple of years ago was based out of Glendale, Arizona, out of that university there. So we'll see what all happens, and it's like being able to figure that out. And now where they're going to be able to, where the, my idea, my thoughts are is where's this kit? Where we're going to extract it from? We're going to extract it from the the spinal fluid or we have to go from the brain to pull out the proper uh, sample for the, the test to rec- recognize it. Then also on top of that too, to send off the results to the DNR. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? What do you think is going to be best to go after that approach? Um, I believe I would say 
a lot from what I know about it, a lot of where they find mm-hmm. the CWD is either the brain or the spinal column. It would probably be easier to now here I'm getting into my one of my back my educated background is, is as a paramedic. Okay. So I have a, a, a medical background. Depending on how they want to extract the information, is it just a tissue sample of the spinal column? Okay. Um, that's a matter of, you know, a lot of guys will, um, when they're quartering up their deer, you know, saw the the, the head off or okay. and you can get some of that. I don't know if with some of the bone fragments getting into there, if that's going to cause any um, problems with the testing mm-hmm. purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's a syringe where you have to take some of the cerebral spinal fluid that you'll have in the spinal column. Yeah. And you'd have to, you know, find that spot in between the two vertebrae, stick it in there and, and, and draw it mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. If it's a, uh, you know, uh, something where you have to get brain tissue, um, you know, you're going to have to f- figure out how to either open up the brain, open up the back of the head, but then again, you got a lot of hunters that do the cap skull mounts and mm-hmm. put them in their garage. Mm-hmm. So it depends on how that is going to have to be done. And there's going to be not a lot of education that's going to be involved in that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. being aggressive in these approaches to do these studies, you know, I, I don't want to be the, the guy that brings it up, but those studies ain't free. No. So it's not. I mean, that's kind of one of those, you know, double-edged swords are, are, are the people that are willing to do that, mm-hmm. you know, eventually that money's going to come down to the people, the, the end users, the hunters. Yes. Are hunters willing to be, um, have this testing paid for and, and, and higher license fees? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's something that, you know, as, as hunters, if we're going to be looking at uh, increased testing, are we willing to increase license fees now i know um, i'm 34 right now i haven't seen a license fee increase in um since i've started bow hunting okay or since i've started hunting when i was 12 years old Mm -hmm. with that being said i mean am i willing to um, see increases go towards testing for cwd Mm -hmm. yeah to a point i'm not going to be spending you know a couple hundred dollars to hunt whitetails in wisconsin not if you're non-resident, but it's like the nice thing about hunting non-resident between Wisconsin and Minnesota, it's, it's below 200 bucks. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about this just now. It's like, you know, this past season in Wisconsin, there was 500000 It's like if it went up for a dollar more, $500,000 is a lot of money for one state. Now, if you add that across all of the states... 20 all 25 states that are infected by it that's a lot of money just like 50 cents for a dollar it's like just all that put into a fund where they can figure that out and it's like um if uh, frank is able to figure this out he could win the new nobel uh, peace prize now he think it's like he's he's pretty confident he's gonna win it once he gets it figured out but it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of work now the nice thing is if this if this field kit works i mean this could really save tens of billions of dollars across the United States over the next 10, 15 years mm-hmm. for revenue for that. Cause it's like, you're not only when a, when a person, like let's say you're coming from Minnesota, to Wisconsin to hunt. It's like you have, you have your, your gas you're putting in, you have your food you're putting in, you have your, if you're scaling at a campsite, you got mm-hmm. that, your tag, uh, the food you're purchasing there, the alcohol you're going to be eventually purchasing there. So you have all this revenue coming into the state. It's like, there's a more than one way to skin this cat where we can be able to get to the nitty gritty and, fix this thing because it's like i really i'm really hoping that his aggressive approach will definitely affect us really rapidly you know Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it's. I I I hope his science is is accurate and sound science. Um, I was kind of surprised that about the it being a bacteria. Mm-hmm. Um, that, was that was the first time too. I I had the first because the last probably five years is when I started hearing about uh, a prion, a folded prion, mm-hmm. um, causing it. And I'm like, okay, that's new. So, and that's kind of what we've been hearing for the last couple of years. And then, you know, he comes out and this is, you know, that article is what, two, two weeks, weeks old, old? Yeah. maybe. Yeah. So, I mean, it's when everything, so, when everything, something, when something like that comes out, that's really kind of new and mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time before uh, people are going to be a hear about it. Yes. And then understand what it means and to see if it is backed up by by science as well. And is 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 within the within the second year because this is part of a three to five year plan of what he wants to what he wants to get this all accomplished. Now, at the end of the second year, Bastian plans on developing an injectable vaccine primarily for captive deer and elk, representing possibly the only uh, only way to prevent the collapse of the deer farming industry too. Now it's like there that also all that opens up a whole can of worm about the farms that they have or they raise and sell urine and such like that or larging out outfitters and such now when it came down to it when i was listening to uh, brian from the wisconsin public radio clip you sent me today it's that one out of every four cases come out of one of these now i think this could be a good great approach for it too because now you, you're they're all in captivity you you you're able to develop a, a uh, control group and go from there mm-hmm. yeah it, um it's it's a good start i know uh, with vaccinating the the captive deer herd i know the third step on there i have a little i i don't know how the, to deliver the nasal or oral i could see to, it, to the wild deer herd yeah and and this kind of brings up to brings into this might be a pretty good segue into something else i wanted to talk about about a, a book review that i have okay so recently i read this book and we'll talk about it later but uh, um, about capturing wild whitetails okay. is not easy. And it's never 100% mm-hmm. effective. You can have a, a, a area that's inundated with deer. Mm-hmm. The wildlife agency comes in and starts doing live capture of deer. You're never going to capture every single deer mm-hmm. because you'll capture half six half to 60 percent at best Mm -hmm. because that other half to 40 percent are going to wise up to your traps and not get caught Mm -hmm. um so that might be something i just i'm 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 hesitant to know how they're going to you know the how many how many deer i mean in wisconsin i mean are you going to vaccine are we going to vaccinate all the deer or how that I don't I don't know how that how that could be how that could work. The only way I could think to really do a mass effect to it would be done through food plots, soybeans, corn. I mean, but right now we tr- we're the the public public wants to move away from GMO foods, but I think if we could figure out a way to establish that into the DNA of the corn or soybean, that could be a really big way of overall thing because i mean we, we're talking millions of acres of farmland here that we can use that as an as a best role of an option to clean that up because it'll affect uh elk mule deer it, 
whitetail and, and, and coos deer and uh, uh, even um, I don't I don't I don't know if antelope get affected by it. I did, I haven't they didn't do enough digging for that one. But what do you do? You, do they? Or I'm not? trying to think. I don't think. No, this is you know two guys from Wisconsin talking about antelope. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't think antelope are cervids. Okay, yeah, because I don't I don't I don't know either. Man, well. I'm sure. I'm sure. Once you post this podcast, somebody will contact you and let you know <laughs> what no type kidding. of animal uh, antelope is. Uh, <laughs> we get a lot of antelopes in Wisconsin. You know, it's it's a, no it's a big animal, big animal here in Wisconsin. Yeah, and it's like, and then they also want to get into uh, scrapies too and sheep. Now that's mm-hmm. a tough one to tackle right there. I do like this, the idea of mad cow disease and TS, uh, TSEs and the wildlife in the next five years. I mean, that's a highly aggressive plan i'm hoping his ego will be able to step up to it because it could this could also affect uh, alzheimer's als parkinson's disease i mean this is a very big thing mm-hmm. right here i don't know if johnson johnson will like that or pfizer but <laughs> you know we'll see what happens and uh, you know if we could we if we need to we can always talk to tink or tinks or uh nose jammers like hey can you maybe figure out a way to navigate through this uh, murky road here politics yeah exactly let them let them take care of it i'll uh I'll sit here and bow hunt. Yeah, just so. pay t- and just just pay attention and speak up when necessary because we don't want things to disappear or or people stop talking about it because that's the biggest thing about some of these issues. If we stop talking about it, then it's like then they go away. And but there's certain there's certain dynamics in society where if we stop talking, it'd actually be a benefit for it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, um, I think that's pretty much like that's all I have for when it comes down to the the CWD. I think that was a really good wrap up for it because I'm really excited about what the what they're going to what he's going to be able to come up with to cure some of this stuff mm-hmm. I mean that's a lot it's extremely aggressive let's see here now I found something about DMAP it's that's you that for Wisconsin now did you, you you had your your dad look up some information for us why don't we yep. start with that program here and then we'll run into this next program yeah um one of the programs in the state of Wisconsin is called Managed Forest Law. Okay. Um, it's a program where homeowner, or landowners can enroll their land in this program, and it's a, a works with the Department of Forestry in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, for many many years before this, you know, guys would you know you'd have a chunk of property, a farmer would have a chunk of property, and mm-hmm. and you'd log mm-hmm. it off. Uh, if uh, farm prices were down or have needed a little extra income, guys would log off their back 80 for that extra income. And they, okay. they'd tell the logger, cut everything down that was that's worth anything and, and so I can get a little extra income. Okay. Um, what, and at that point, a lot of the, the woods were being clear cut. Mm-hmm. Um, everything was cut down, which has negative effects on the wildlife. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, what uh, this managed forest law does is it um, it kind of manages for the woods sustainability. Okay. Um, you you get yourself set up. You have a certified forester come to write a plan mm-hmm. of how to log off your property mm-hmm. for sustainability of woods, which sustains wildlife, plants, animals, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, you have a program of either either 25 or 50 years. Okay. You can put this in. Um, they kind of, the forester kind of gives you an idea of, of when would be a good time to log off, you know, a, a section of your property. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're kind of hold the reins to when you can log off and they're going to log off when you're you know trees are mature mm-hmm. they're and, and that's kind of that's good for the wildlife to where they can uh, you know the the trees are getting more mature they're producing more acorns more feed around the area mm-hmm. once they mm-hmm. get really big mm-hmm. it gets logged off opens up the canopy of the woods mm-hmm. more of the uh, underbrush grows up there's more feed for the for the wildlife um there are some building restrictions on okay. this. Um, you know, there's a, and it kind of depends upon what you already have there. Um, when you put it into a program, um, what's what's common and what uh, my family did on their land was, you know, when, when my parents purchased the land about nine years ago, mm-hmm. there was a cabin, uh, a trailer, and then, and so they took the acre and a half chunk that was around there and did not enroll that chunk so they could had those buildings on there okay they added a little bit more because we wanted to put like a like a, a pole barn so we could store four wheelers and our boats in the winter time and all that stuff okay. so that, that was part of the the thing there so there are building restrictions um so you know if anybody's interested in this managed forest program um there's there's certain restrictions you can't you can't do here um if you have any other uh, questions or anything like that, uh, there is a on the DNR website. If you look up Wisconsin Managed Forest Law Summary, okay. they have an FAQ about it and how mm-hmm. to how to sign up for it. Mm-hmm. And the incentive for landowners is that uh, there is a property tax uh, deduction. Okay, a pretty substantial one. You can. Um, put in your managed forest open which is you have managed forest and it's open to public to access okay so that's kind of so some of you some of you hunters that are having a hard time with getting uh access onto land here's an option where you can look up on wisconsin dnr and look for managed forest open um that is a great way to get on some hunting land they do have a managed forest closed which is you have your uh, forest managed, but it's not open to public okay. to come on it. So it's kind of either or how you want to get it set up. Uh-huh. Um, you know, our, our my family's land is on the managed forest closed, and they see about an 80% decrease in property taxes on the land. That's Wow, that's pretty that's, substantial. So, um, and it's even more if you have it open, obviously. But then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, you do open yourselves up to, um, you know, uh, public coming onto your property. Uh, to to hunt, bird watch, walk around, hike, recreate, and all that stuff. Okay. Um, but I mean, if anybody's interested in that, and don't take my um, brief summary of mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. the Bible, uh, but I would look at the Wisconsin Managed Forest Law on the DNR website. They would have a lot of the information there um, if you're interested. And in I think it's a, it's a it's a great program. Um, it keeps our forests, woods, uh, wildlife healthy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really, and I, the last thing my, my father had said about it was, you know, it's, it's, it's really good for everybody involved. It's good for the landowner. It's good for the wildlife. It's good for, you know, everybody involved kind uh-huh. of gets a pretty good deal out of it. And, and, uh, you know, he put my, my, my family put it in for 25 and he goes, I wish I put it in for 50. Now, can you actually go back and like renegotiate after the twenty five years and go fifty on top of that? Yes. 
Okay. Yes, you, you can. But once you're, but once you're locked in at twenty five or fifty, you can't move up. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, so you're in a twenty five year contract. Um, you know, my father jokingly says, like, so you'll deal with it at, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, once once it once it dries up, yeah, I'll put it in for fifty years. I don't have any um, problems with that. So it's mm-hmm. it's definitely a, a good incentive for landowners to to become part of that program. Um, so now are you going to open it up or are you going to keep it private? I think I'll burn that bridge when we get there early. Kind of depends. Uh huh. I mean, I got about 17 years to think about it. So. True. So you, you got a little ways to think. Yeah. About it. Especially <laughs> I've never even thought about it yet. Yeah. So, so I don't blame you for keeping on the back burner right now. Cause I wouldn't, if I had that option there, I wouldn't be thinking about it anytime soon. You know, mm-hmm. cause it's like, it's, not here. I can't do anything about it till that point in time. Now, this program I found just kind of scrolling through the interwebs there. It's like, it's called Wisconsin DMAP. Now, what this is is as a ways to improve habitat for deer and other wildlife to encourage to enroll. This, uh, the landowners are encouraged to to enroll in this uh, deer management assistance program. So, DMAP provides additional or informational resources professional assistance regarding wildlife habitat management techniques and properties of any size to help participants improve the habitat for the wild, which is great because now it's like you're being, you're able to have multiple people look at it because it's like they're also opening this to bio, a biologist too. So you can have them examine your property as well. Now they have multiple programs where you can at different levels and such like that. So the nice thing is the enrollment for this program is always open, uh, but properties of 160, 160 acres or more are encouraged to enroll um, in March, early March is what they want to have done uh, by the time this podcast. Re- it, and so that's what the, that's, that's the, the typical year. But like I said, it's enroll open enrollment all the time. So to and this, well, this right here is to, to have it done as early as possible is to receive uh, pr- proprietary access to the program benefits, including a site visit, a walkthrough for 2019 with a professional wildlife biolo- bio- biologist and a forester, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, having some, having a biologist come through, and I'm not sure what that program involves, but once you uh, enroll, I mean, it'd be great because now you can you can forethink of, of the upcoming spring and how you want to manicure your property for it's one April and May hit there, especially mm-hmm. after ta- talking to the forester about like different ideas about even improving or implanting new trees and where to put them at. Now, the cool thing is too, it's like once you sign up and you're a participant, you can receive access statewide workshops on habitat and deer management, including professional presentations, property tours, and hands-on demonstrations. So in addition, you'll be able to receive an, a unique opportunity to participate in research projects, which is pretty cool, and collect data on the deer they harvest and wildlife they observe. So it's like that, can op- that opens up the whole spectrum of bobcats, uh, lynx, mm-hmm. mountain lions, wolves, coyotes. I mean, that, that's just a really cool way to like really excite people about the environment. I mean, this is a really unique program about it, especially having access to it. And there's, it even gets even better on top of that too. Is that a new program? Or has that been around for a while? I I don't know when the, the, the program was inducted. I don't have information on it when it was inducted. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see it. I, I mean, everything I pulled is directly off of the DNR website. Okay. They didn't have a established in, so otherwise I'd be able to mention that too. Now, for more information on us, to make you, and to apply, you go to dnr.wi.gov 
and and just use keywords as DMAP, but you can put that in Google and it'll take you right to it. Now, there's also a management assistant program. This is a little bit different here. So there's a there's a deadline for this here, and that's right at the first of March. Now that could be the March of uh, 2019 or 2020. Now, the, but that's for levels two and three, which I'll, I'll I'll break that down here in just a moment. So, landowners are cooperative. So it's like if you own, if you're mostly agricultural land, if you work work with Monsanto or something like that, you that's how that breaks down. So, with 160 acres or more, it's encouraged to apply for the by by the first of March. And this way is it, to in order to be eligible for an on-site visit from a wildlife uh, biologist and a forester this year. So apply immediately in a sense. So if you don't make it by the deadline, no big deal. It's like I said, it's open enrollment for the whole process here. Now, now it's 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 a, this cooperative effort is between the, the DNR, landowners, and hunters to provide habitat and deer herd management assistance for those who are interested in managing the property. Uh, wildlife and forestry professionals assist landowners and management practices that consider an ecological and social impact on white-tailed deer on the landscape. Now, what the cooperators can choose uh, can choose to share their information, collect biological data, and participate in these workshops. And this one-on-one relationship and stressing and they stress communication and cooperation that makes the D, the DMAP a flexible and effective deer management program, and for public land and even public lands as well. So, what that from what I interpret that that was is that it allows you to work with everybody across the board. So this way that if it's like if somebody's having great success with the sandy soil down here, uh, how can I apply it to my location? Or if I'm having a lot of overgrowth or whatever, how can I change that to a different spot? Or how can I increase that in my area? Or if somebody has plants or wild, vet, wild vegetation is natural, how can, we, how can we establish in our area? What did you interpret from all that? Yeah, what I took it as, there's... A program where they can have you know certified wildlife biologists foresters uh, walk through your property and talk to you about what are some things you can do to enhance wildlife mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, you know what better way for a landowner to really be a steward of wildlife is to have you know enroll in this program have uh, experts come out and mm-hmm. talk to you about, uh, you know, you have a stream running through here. How, you know, let's see if we can get ways where we can have uh, wildlife use this stream either for, you know, drinking or uh, trout, releasing trout into the stream, mm-hmm. that sort of thing to enhance the wildlife. Um, you know, do we plant some trees over in this field that we're not using for, you know, agricultural fields or anything like that? Okay. How can we... How can we do that? I think that's a lot of information. And also, like you said, I mean, there's if, you know, there's a bunch of landowners that enroll in this, that's a lot of information sharing. You know, what works in one area of the state may be able to work in a different area mm-hmm, of state. Mm-hmm. They can share information. Um, a lot of people can learn a lot of information about about doing that, sharing information and, and learning from each other is, is a great resource that we have in the state. The, that's the only gets better from there. So. Now, whether you have five acres or 500 land, uh, 500 acres, DMAP has, has something to offer for the individual for it. Now, uh, co- uh, cooperators 
also have access to a vast library of habitat management resources, direct communication with biologists, foresters, and regular workshops on on wide variety of topics. So that creates a whole educational um, service for it. So now people that are getting into biology or graduating college, they have a way to input and, and to solidify their, their degree in a sense. Mm-hmm. Now, depending on the, the number of acres enrolled for DMAP, landowners may also choose to have an on-site visit may have they can also choose based so that gives a little more flexibility for it and they can also assess the overall health and quality of the wildlife habitat on the property and work with the landowner to formulate a property management plan based on their goals objectives as a landowner now they have multiple programs they have a level one that's that's no acreage requirement no enrollment fee and there's a pdf for it too so you can go on the dnr website and grab it now for level two this one has a a program where it's like this one has a little bit more uh has to qualify for it. so this one this level two affects 160 acres to 640 acres of land now this enrollment fee is 75 dollars for every three years so it breaks down 25 bucks a year which can say can generate a lot especially if you run a outfitters that can be tens of thousands of dollars over the course of a decade and then level three is 640 acres plus and that's 150 every three years too so that could that will play into your larger farming programs they have out there too and then um there's another one for public land which is pretty sweet i have not looked at it yet so i i'm looking forward to diving into that and the, the deer management is on a federal state county or municipal municipal lands which is pretty neat and then the nice thing is that it also gives you a whole what each program offers to for x for the $75 thing right there. So it's like the 75 and 130 are one of those things where it's like they're only thing that's different is a, a uh, snapshot Wisconsin. Not sure what that means, but if you get interested in that, you can do that, look into that, but it's, it gives a pretty good breakdown here. Mm-hmm. I'll send it over to you. Maybe you see something in there that you want to talk about. Now with this is there's already an established Cooperatives, there's already 270 acres that are part of this land room across 70 counties. So that's already a big foundation. 270,000 mm-hmm. acres is amazing. Wow. So 70 counties, that's a, that's, that's a good thing. Now, I'm not sure if this is Wisconsin. I'm sure this is Wisconsin because this is, I pulled all this information from there. And so this way, and then in this, in this, the DMAP seeks to bring landowners and managers together to provide a healthy habitat, health deer across in the state. Now, this could also, this research can also be applied to the health of CWD and such for that one. One could benefit uh, Dr. Bastian's research too as well. Cause mm-hmm. in this way, then he can take in this information here on like what can accelerate it, what doesn't accelerate, what minerals are missing in the landscape. So that could play a role in how fast the uh, incubation time is for the, mm-hmm. the, this uh, virus, I guess you can call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you know, having access to uh, biologists and letting them onto your property to, you know, do scientific studies to get that data is only going to make things, only going to make us understand things better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in my professional life, I do a lot of data collection, a lot of data entry, and you can learn a ton of stuff once you start looking at 
uh, you know, frequencies and times and times of the year and see if you have, um, you know, at the same time of the year, certain things happen every single year and you can track that over time and trend that information so you can have expectations and plan ahead for, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, summer months when, uh, you know, the, the, where it's humid is going to cause certain issues in the certain things in the landscape. You can plan for that. So you can plan ahead. Also drought research too. Drought research is, is, is another thing that, you know, people are going to have to look at, especially, you know, you get into the, uh, um, in, in winter months too. I mean, there's, it's a drought in the winter too, cause there, mm-hmm. there's no liquid water running around here. Any, any, yes, any that's time true. soon. That's a good so, point. uh, it's something, something definitely to look at. I did see here, which I was surprised here. Um, if you're at level two or level three, reduced price antlerless tags. Yeah, it's that's I, if recommended by a professional biologist or forester. Okay, uh-huh. that yeah. was interesting. Yeah, so that's that's a but cool down. Now get this too. Now let's say you want to be part of level three and you have only three hundred twenty acres, but your neighbor has three hundred twenty acres. Get you over that six forty. You know, you can actually make this un, you can unroll all that land under the same profile and, you can, and it can be you could do over a thousand acres mm-hmm. and this way then so now instead of one person uh taking the whole 150 now you're broken broken up between a couple different people so it's which is pretty cool to really mm-hmm. establish that thing especially if we're looking at different bands you know because like when it's the summertime from what i know it's like you if we're if you're south of the cross and like McGregor, they get a lot of rain. Or if you're in Trumpelow, they get a lot of rain too. Mm-hmm. And so it's like you can, it's a good way to incorporate all of that information under one plot, which I thought was pretty cool to be able to do. And uh, this way allows the, somebody that has a potential of maybe only having like 30 acres being brought into a higher uh, level. So this way, if they want to take advantage of that antlerless drop, mm-hmm. now it's like, hey, I got 60 acres, you have 30 acres, you have 180. It's like let's see how we can get above. That six forty threshold. It's amazing. It does. It seems like it's pretty inexpensive for the stuff that you're getting. I know. It's it doesn't seem that much at all. And I the mean, cool part is too is it opens up the doors for uh, interns too to be able to participate that for this upcoming summer. So then you can you can have uh, biologists and train to be able to get out there and just and be able to have the, the minds work for you. And it's like the great thing about scientists they go everything by facts and statistics and all the details they get. The more they can help you out. Mm-hmm. That's could that could change all across. And then if this program is successful in Wisconsin, just think about Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, all across the board. And this is also can benefit the EPA Act too as well. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I'm definitely pretty excited about how this whole program <laughs> rolls out. It's like this is this is this is, this is uh, exciting news. I'm not it, sure what, uh, when this all got brought into effect, but it's it's exciting to starting here in 2019. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, wanted to close this this uh, podcast off with. with um, just recap the Wisconsin season here. I thought this was pretty impressive here. That's in the, t- the entire 10 day regular gun season here from November 17th to 20th. There's only three non fail accidents. That's it. Hmm. Out of 576,277 tags. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's just remarkable how safe, We've really have gotten it's like and a lot of these things were these were non malice or non malicious all accidental discharges 
Mm-hmm. There's nothing really that will d- deliver it. So this making the 2018 season the safest in the state history. That's awesome. Perfect. And that's and that's going to do a lot for hunters. Mm-hmm. It's going to, you know, we are, we do take safety into consideration. We are cognizant of what the, you know, it's, it's, important to be it's important to be safe and that's one thing that i was always taught growing up was bad stuff happens fast Mm -hmm. and you got to be careful that's amazing to hear that you know nobody i didn't hear anybody get hurt over gun season um Mm -hmm. nobody got injured killed it really speaks to the amount of uh uh, safety that the wisconsin deer hunters have Mm -hmm. and how important they know that um about gun safety and wearing a harness in a tree stand mm-hmm. and wearing your orange and telling people where you're going to be and mm-hmm. when you're going to be back. You know, it's, it's, it's important to take all those things into consideration. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, in, in, in my other life as a volunteer firefighter, I've, I've searched for missing hunters. I've, um, we train on rescuing people out of tree stands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do those sort of things because we are in a in a business of we need to plan for the worst and hope for the best. Yes, um, and and to see that nobody got injured uh, during the Wisconsin deer season, or, or only three people got injured during the Wisconsin gun deer season, was is really a, a, a big sign great of to hear. Yeah. On top of that, and it, it also shows that how valuable we consider the Second Amendment and how we take it seriously. Because like we value our firearms and a right to it, and it's one of those things where you want to show is like the good guys with guns know how to take care of themselves. They're very healthy. They're very um, logical about it. They think steps ahead because they don't want anybody to get uh, get hurt. Because there was one time where my dad yelled at me because we were about ready to walk into the ditch. And I, I loaded a, a chamber around in my 410, and I pulled and I pulled the hammer back, mm-hmm. and it's like I I got my I got reamed out for it, and I appreciate him for doing that because I could have hurt him, or I could have hurt myself, or had an accidental discharge, and it's one of those things where like I I feel that having that impact at such a young age has definitely made my temper or my uh, t- uh, temper stay even, but it's like my voice gets really loud the more you don't listen. <laughs> yeah. It, um, you know, growing up in that safety-minded household, um, my father was a police officer. So a lot of, you know, our firearm safety came from, um, you know, his his time on, on working on the police department mm-hmm. and, and knowing how guns work from a very young age, um, you know, understanding the safety. There was, you know, you didn't, you didn't, growing up, you didn't grab a gun unless you asked mm-hmm. dad. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you grabbed a gun, he, he would grab it for you, open up the chamber, make sure it's empty. I I never remember him opening up the chamber with a bullet like, oh my god, how would that? I mean, they were always empty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've never reminded remember me checking a gun to see if it was unloaded and to see if it, and it ended up being loaded because it was always unloaded mm-hmm, every time I was in a case. He would hand it to me, and then he'd ask me, how do you unload it? Or, or check if it's loaded. I would check if it was loaded too. Mm-hmm. So you're getting a lot of, uh, you know, double double checks in there. And it was interesting. I was listening to this was probably two weeks ago the Meat Eater podcast. They were talking about safety. You know, when they're when they're shooting, 
and I and I've seen in a lot of uh, hunting shows recently where uh, whoever's hunting doesn't have a round chambered in their rifle until they're ready to shoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they they were talking about that, and I, this is the first time I had ever seen that. I was watching uh, Randy Newbert hunt, and he never hunts with a round chambered. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I got to thinking, like, is that uh, t- is that a practice I should get into? Is hunting without a round chambered? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still I'm still thinking about it. You know, one of the things that they had mentioned in the Meat Eater podcast was you got to understand it's not just the hunter that's out there. There's the hunter. There's usually one or two people that are hunting with them. There's camera guys. There's sound guys. There's a lot of guys around them. Mm-hmm. When I'm hunting in the woods, it's it's me and me and my son, or me by myself, or mm-hmm. me and a friend. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot less going on. Um, so you know, jury's still out. But then I, I think about a lot of the times I've been gun hunting. I've never I've never needed that. Like I got to shoot right now. Uh, you know, ha- never had that situation where I got to shoot right now because I'm always uh, so careful. I want to, you know, I hold myself to a really high standard of of how I I want to hunt. I want to do it my way, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. my way is I want to shoot adult deer. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see deer if it's running away. It's like, oh, it's running away. I'll find. I'll get it later, mm-hmm. or I'll find it later, I'll, or I'll or I'll get a different one. I'm not one that's going to, you know, shoot at a deer running across the field. And, and hoping I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the uh, things I've heard is if you're not 100% sure that you're going to kill that deer, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't take a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's easy for a rifle hunter, but it goes the same with bow hunters too. Oh, yes. You know, if, uh, you know everybody has their uh, uh, effective range. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, 30, 40 yards, I'll never shoot at a deer at, at you know, 50 yards. But I'm telling you, there's going to be guys that are going to be second-guessing themselves when that 160-inch buck is at 50 yards and like, oh, maybe I can do it. Or there's nothing mm-hmm. worse than wounding a deer and not getting it back because you took a shot you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I on the weekends, you know, I shoot a lot, or basically any time I got free time, I'm shooting my bow a lot. Yeah. I have a target set up in the backyard. I'll do 3D shoots on the weekends. And, you know, there'll be shots at 60, 70 yards. Mm-hmm. I love shooting at targets at 70 yards, watching mm-hmm. an arrow fly through the air. I, I enjoy it really a lot. But 30, 40 yards max. If that deer's at 42, it gets a walk this time. Mm-hmm. I'll get it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just makes me, you know, more conscious. And that's when you, you kind of bring it back to when we were talking about, you know, um, having a season where bring the, mouse up, bring the mic up a little closer to your mouth. Oh, there you go. When you when you have a season where you're not, where you end up not shooting anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you can look back. Well, I had a lot of encounters. Mm-hmm. You know, I passed up a couple bucks the year before this last year. I only shot two small does, mm-hmm. um, but I passed up 13 different bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of experiences. You know, hunting hunting with friends and family that are that are really nice. So you can take those back. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that you gotta kind of think about when you're thinking about safety, um, and and hunting. Mm-hmm. I I was listening mm-hmm. to a podcast this morning about a getting one of those tree saddles. Okay, have you seen those yet? Did did I send you those, or is it something different? That because I know you and I exchanged some images of someone from uh, Farmer Fleet from those the, the, the 
Oh yeah, that was like a tree seat okay. that just hangs at like the bottom of the tree to like yeah, lean exactly. up against. This is a. It's almost like a lineman's harness. Okay. That you can climb up in a tree. Okay. And and stand on a little small platform, and it, that's your tree stand where you're completely connected to the tree the whole time you're going up. Oh. Um, okay. I'm contemplating on on getting one to use for this next season. I'm toying around with because they're to get a to get a real this tethered company has it and they they got a pretty nice setup and it's it's modeled for these guys they call them run and gun hunters that go into kind of a a lot of public land hunters will kind of go into area find sign climb up in a tree and that's it Mm -hmm. works really well if you have a harness it's a lot lighter you can walk in quieter yeah um you're carrying you know screwing steps a set of sticks or something like that Mm -hmm. and this harness and you can get up into trees you wouldn't traditionally be able to put like a metal tree stand in okay um a lot of times when i'm you know hunting on public land i'm going in and carrying all my stuff with me and it can get kind of heavy so uh Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i'm toying around with using with using a harness Uh, one of the things i'm a little bit concerned about is the effects of suspension trauma Okay, break that down for me because I'm, I'm 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 not I've not heard that before. It is a situation where you know if you have something like a harness around your around your legs, and it will pinch off your uh, vessels in your legs. Oh. If and certain things can happen at that point. Like I mentioned before, my my professional training is as a firefighter and paramedic, and that uh, first thing will happen is that blood flow will decrease in your feet mm-hmm. and your feet will start to get cold, which as hunters, we all know is not, not a good sign, not a good sign, not something you really want to have happen. But one of the, the, the biggest issue is if you um, take that weight off your legs okay, and that um, compression is off your legs, after the blood flow slows down your vessels, the weight off your legs, um, you have a possibility of throwing clots. Ah, I got because you. Because anytime you have blood flow decrease in your legs, mm-hmm. it'll start to clot, and then when you stand up, you'll have either a drop in blood pressure, and you okay. could pass out. Ooh, that would be good. Or you could, um, uh, you know, throw a clot, causing issues with uh, stroke or heart attack, um, anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, so it's it's something that. That's why I'm. I think they're they're a tool that can be used, and people have been using them for a long, long time. This isn't something that's new. People have been using harnesses up in up in uh, trees for a long, long time. So I don't think it's a, a large issue. But it's something as hunters we got to kind of be uh, understanding that this is something that could happen. Is that uh, suspension trauma? Um, same thing if you have the safety harnesses that go around your thighs. Okay. And you fall out of your tree stand, you're hanging there. Mm-hmm. That's one of the problems when we train for uh, rescuing people that are that are hanging with their safety harness that we got to be concerned about is when we start taking the weight off of them, um, making sure that we have uh, advanced care there for mm-hmm. uh, situations where they would get to suspension trauma. Makes sense because now with both your legs, you, you have uh, the femoral, femoral artery, correct? Excuse me. What what's the artery that runs through both your legs, both the your thighs? Femoral artery, yeah. Femoral artery. Mm-hmm. So it's like that right there is it. It's dangerous. I, I it, it opened my mind up about that. It's like, huh, 
Like, cause it's, but I, I've last year I spent most of my time on the ground. I just, I found a tree where I, where I knew where I can, I can play the wind and I can also play their, their visibility where I know where I, where if I, cause it's like, I don't set, if I'm standing on the ground, if I'm on the ground, I'm going to be standing where I can easily move around. Uh, I think I sent you a picture of this one, uh, oak tree where I have, where it's just like all. It's a great spot for all season long because mm-hmm. the the weeds grow so high that I can walk in from behind it where I know the deer won't be coming in from, and I can just walk right behind it and get right in there, and I don't, and I don't have to worry about manipulating the front camouflage, which I think is going to be a great asset, and it puts me in within thirty uh, within twenty yards of any kill shot I make, which is what I feel I, I set myself up where I don't have to worry about shooting outside of twenty yards. Now earlier today you were you were mentioning about that book review. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the books I have here, um, I, I found out about it from the magazine that you get sent when you become a member of Backcountry back Hunters and Anglers. Okay. Um, which I'm a member of, and they had an article in there last winter, you know, books for books to read over the winter for hunters. Okay. So I went Amazon crazy at that time and bought a bunch of books, and I've been working my way through them throughout the year. And this one's got to be one of my favorites. It's called Heart and Blood, Living with Deer in America by Richard Nelson. Okay. And, uh, you know, it goes through his life of, of not growing up with hunting. All right. Learning how to hunt from Alaskan, uh, a first, first people tribe. All right. Up in Alaska. And then it goes through, you know, how he hunts in different situations. A lot of the... Uh, He's a wildlife biologist, and goes and he talks about um, um, certain things as far as you know hunting ranch in Texas, talking to animal rights activists in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. um, no, working it, with. Is, uh, is he is he does he live in Wisconsin then? He does live in Wisconsin, or at okay. least at the time of this book. Um, I believe this book was in the mid '90s. It was written. Um, I'll read you his bio here. Richard Nelson is a cultural anthropologist whose previous books include Shadow of the Hunter, Hunters of the Northern Forest, Hunters of the Northern Ice, Make mm-hmm. Prayers to the Raven and the Island Within, for which he has won John Burroughs Medal for Outstanding Natural History Writing. He is also a winner of the Lannan Liter- Literary Award for Nonfiction. Um, one of the... Uh, enlightening things I saw I, I read out about uh, about this book is uh, they talked about overpopulation okay um, now about overpopulation by humans or by animals by animals okay uh, one of the studies that he mentions in this book and, and, and speaks quite well about it is a study um, on Angel Island in okay. San, San Francisco Bay um, Angel Island is so you ever hear the story of the people that supposedly escaped from Alcatraz okay I, I knew that there is rumors that there's people that that uh, escaped. I know that, and they also received letters of the people <gasps> that. No, oh, Ruby wanted to say hi again. Yes, apparently she did. But the, the, but is, is that where they, they? Yeah. So okay. The 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 story that these three gentlemen escaped from Alcatraz made mm-hmm. a boat in their cell. They drifted to Angel Island. So that's where Angel Island comes in. So it's in San Francisco Bay. Okay. And this island is inundated with black blacktails. Black tail deer. Okay. And uh, they were talking about the, the California DNR, their version of the DNR, said, okay, we need to thin the population. We have 
I believe they said over 300 deer on this small island. Okay. Uh, they're becoming sick. They're thin. Uh, people are going out there for picnics. There's a ferry there like once a day, and they ferry people out to this island to, for picnics and hiking and whatever. I gotcha. Um, and they're, the deer were eating out of the garbage. They were everywhere and becoming a nuisance to the people that were coming. Reminds me of Lanai. Yeah. So um, they in the in the book, they talk about how the DNR out there, how they were going to um, work the, you know, how they were going to lower the deer herd. Okay. They came up with a bunch of different options. One of the first options was opening up a hunt. Okay. In, on, which, you know, it originally had not been on Angel Island. They were going to open up a hunt to hunters, have a number, a small number of hunters okay. there out a day. They'd hunt, they'd come back, you know, a regulated uh, uh, hunt. Uh, the people did not like that. <laughs> Most Californians didn't. Yeah. They still don't. So um, they went to investigate some of the other options out there were relocating um, uh, and, and relocating them out to different areas. Mm-hmm. Bookmarked a uh, section in it. Okay. And it said, now this, mind you, this book, I'll get the uh, copyright date, so we'll kind of have a date in mind. Uh, moving Angel Island's deer was also very expensive. The direct cost to tallied $87,568, roughly $43 per animal to relocate deer. Wow, I could add that quick. Um, for each of the deer that survived a year that were relocated, it was an additional $2,876. Okay. Um what they did was they ended up uh, live capturing deer. Okay. They would um, do a health check on them, collar them. Mm-hmm. If there were bucks, they cut the antlers off. Why is that? They said that um, it will keep them from being hunted because they, the biologists out there, they said, well, cut the antlers off because they wanted, you know, they have this, ability to capture deer they wanted to study them for longer periods of time okay and if you put a huge buck with a collar out there it's a prime target for hunters so they cut the antlers off oh so they so they did allow hunting on the island then as well no oh they didn't no but when they relocated them to a hunting area oh that's when they cut the antlers off so Mm -hmm. um they're able to you know do all that and you know it was, it was very very expensive mm-hmm. the deer that were relocated did not have the capabilities of surviving out in the wild all right they had not learned how to find food that wasn't either given to them or or provided or were on this island so they mm-hmm. went and they put them out out in the mountains in, in California and they didn't the deer ended up dying fairly quickly because they weren't used to living. And, you know, there was, they had predators that were after them. They were hunted. Mm -hmm. They had all this stuff happen and they were not prepared for any of it. Uh, So they, you know, it was, it really kind of opened my eyes. That was, that section of the book was extremely interesting. I thought Mm -hmm. that was because you don't, you don't hear about that stuff that much and i just i thought it was a really good really good read um it's 351 pages 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge bibliography in the back. Um, you know, it's, it's definitely a good read. It did take me a while uh, to get through all the materials, but it was it was a fantastic uh, fantastic winter reading. So well, what's the uh, copyright on that? So this where we kind of have an idea of the the uh, time frame Let's this was written. I think it might, might also be a good idea to maybe bust out that uh, pickled tongue. I'm curious about that. Oh, we'll we'll get the pickled tongue here very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, copyright 1997. Okay, all right then. So it's not too old. It's only no. 21 years old, so it's not too bad. 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it also is like is when you're when you're mentioning Angel Island. Now now, do they happen to find uh, presence of the escaped convicts on the island? I can't remember. All I all I you know I just vaguely remember that was where the where the convicts that. You know, and this is a myth that they escaped from Alcatraz, and that's oh, so where they no made it. Oh, there's no true proof of the yeah, whole thing? Because how big is the island? How big is Angel Island? I can definitely look that up. So, because it's like I'm wondering, because uh, Easter Island is 63 square miles, and that that went uh, belly up cent- over, uh, back in the early centuries. Because it's like what they end up doing is that they got overpopulated. They ate themselves out of food, out of house and home, essentially. That's why we have uh, bear season, you know, because it's what they're known to do. And it was early 1800s. And when the British settled the island or when they when they first came on there, they, they, they were once they hit like 19 in the mid 1860s, there was no life left because was, they cut down the last tree. So they had no boats to get off the island to go get stuff like that. And they ran out of food because they pretty much ate up everything up because of the because of how fast they reproduced, it's like they didn't uh, take put keep put that in mind. And I, I'm not sure if they've tried to recultivate the island yet. I'm not. I haven't researched, but I, I there's a little fun fact that I learned today <laughs> while I was listening to uh, Rogan and uh, Forrest. Can't remember his last name, but he's got the dream job. What he does is his his job is to go out look for extinct animals and try to bring back DNA proof. Like he is hell bent on finding the Tasmanian uh, uh, tiger. Really? Yes. There's, there's people have said there's, there's sightings of it, but they're not quite sure. And it's like, and he, he, the, he's one of those people that wants the DNA proof to, to, to bring to make sure their life. And uh, he's right now they have like something like 200 trail cams out there. Still haven't found it yet. And there's, a, there's a university. He, I don't remember what you, I don't believe he identified what university, but they, they have not as many cameras, but they're in a different area, but they're trying to go as remote as possible. And, uh, there's like there's a there's a, a antelope called the Asian uh, unicorn. It's um how oh, I can't remember what it's called. I looked it up today, and it's really pretty looking. Mm-hmm. And it's a very gorgeous animal. It's, the horns are straight up, straight back. They probably get maybe up to eighteen, maybe twenty two inches long for like a really mature adult male in a remote area that is really difficult to reach. In uh, uh, it's in. China, I believe it is, and oddly enough, there's still like there's still a few places in the continental world that haven't been touched by man yet. Really, and he and he believes there's a few megafauna left out that, that haven't been discovered yet. There's not many left, mm-hmm. but it's like there's like we, every year we're we're finding new stuff, but it's all on a, either a micro level or deep down the chasms of the earth, like kind of like the blue shark. Yeah, they were tracking in in the new series uh, Blue Earth Two too. And it went too so deep that they couldn't figure it out. They don't know how many. They have an idea where the island is, but they don't know where she's at down there, giving birth to these hundreds of blue whales. Now, did you find Angel Island? Yeah, Angel Island is one point one eight miles squared. 
Wow. That's really small. Yeah, so it's not uh, a very big island at all. So, um, you know, they had uh, quite a deer herd on that island. And similar even, like, into our area here, uh, Goose Island. Mm, Oh, yes. They had, you know, growing up, I remember deer all over the place. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had the North American Squirrel Association had a hunt down there for uh, disabled individuals. Mm-hmm. Where they had to be mentored, and and uh, you know it it did wonders for that island, mm-hmm. cutting down the deer herd. The the vegetation came back up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they I think they had had it for two years, and that was it. Mm-hmm. The vegetation came up. The deer herd got healthier. Mm-hmm. You know you shouldn't be able to go out and see deer all the time. Yeah. You know, it was just at that time. I mean, you'd go drive through Goose Island and they'd just about walk right up to your vehicle and see if you had crackers in your vehicle for you. Wow. But uh, for them. But I mean, now this was when you when you were younger. Yeah, this was in my lifetime. And I was probably 12. No, I remember. I put you. I was probably 16 or 17 when it happened. Okay, all right. Because it was one of the first times I went uh, gun hunting by myself. Okay. Because my dad was mentoring a friend of his mm-hmm. at the hunt, but I wanted to go. You know, he was going. He was mentoring for the whole weekend, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. it was in school, so I wanted to go hunting too. So he's like, "Why don't you just go hunting?" It was one of the first times I was able to go hunt where I, dr- you know, was able to drive myself and do all that mm-hmm. stuff and. Mm-hmm. But I, I was probably yeah, 16, 17, so I was able to drive to get out to the property we were hunting at. So um, so we're not talking 90, yeah, late 90s, 97, Yeah, because you've been 17, you've been, because you graduated in, in 03, right? Yeah. So it's like you had to have been like 2000, 2001 then. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if your wife would be so kind to grab us that uh, pickled tongue. I'm kind of curious to know how that all is going to taste. Honey, can you grab the pickled deer tongue? it's pretty good i actually uh um these are three deer tongues that i was able to get off the deer that i got i use the if you look in the meat eater uh cookbook that came out this last fall i used the fish pickling recipe out of it so um it's I think it tastes pretty good. And it smells just like pickle herring, so I am excited <laughs> about this right now. Um, you know, one of the processes of making sure you get the tongue <laughs> out is, uh, um, you know, boil it, get the outer skin off. Mm-hmm. And then I, I ended up freezing it because I didn't have the time to, you know, take care of it. And I just pickled this here maybe two weeks ago. So I, I, I boiled the tongue, peeled the outer skin off, sliced it up, brined it, and threw it in the pickling spices, and it it turned out great. I think, I mean, it's it's kind of like a novelty thing. You know, people will turn their nose up at it, but it's kind of like, well, at least let me try it. So um, it's definitely a, a fun kind of way to play around with it. I'll tell you what, it tastes good. 
I yeah. like this. This is really good. <laughs> it, re- it reminds me of pig's feet, you know, especially because the, 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 the recipe you, you use is perfect for it because it's very subtle. It doesn't, it's not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It's very balanced with the whole flavor with it. And, it, and it's just, it tastes like you're chewing on a meatier flavor of cartilage, to me at least. I, th- I like it. I'd, I, could, I could see myself eating, eating too much of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of the, I was, it's, yeah, the exact same recipe that's in that cookbook for Northern or Sucker or whatever. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. it works out, you know, really, really well. And the problem with, with white-tailed deer is their tongues aren't that big. That's the only so downside. you get a whole lot of meat out of it. But yeah. uh, it was kind of fun to play around with. I ended up uh, cooking one earlier season, the, the one where my nephew, I got the tongue out of his buck. Uh-huh. Um, oh, that's right. You had, when you had your uh, uh, exchange student, too. Yeah, that was one of the f- that was the first wild game she ate was deer tongue. Uh huh. Um, she was you know our exchange student from from Spain. She ate it. Her first meal was deer tongue. I kind of ruined it though. I should have. I did the deer tongue kind of on a whim. And uh, I I followed it up with I took backstrap and you know uh, sliced it so it kind of rolled out like a sheet of meat. Okay layered it with spinach feta cheese roasted pine nuts and uh sliced prosciutto okay Whoa. sounds really good though yeah i got my it's got my stomach uh, <laughs> it's, growling it's here. in the um I, I cook a lot out of the meat eater cookbook <laughs> and i i rolled it up wrapped twine around it and uh fried it or you know got a got a crust on it okay and then put it in a cast iron skillet and threw it in the oven for a uh-huh, couple minutes uh-huh. and sliced that up that's one of those meals that like a single guy could make for a date and do pretty well for himself. Well, that's good. It was really good. That's the, for all you single men out there. That is a good idea. Or single ladies that are dating a man child to go to give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That and Asabuka. We tried that a couple. That is something I want to. Try. It's like, tell me about that. Cause I have not had it yet. Yeah. Cause I've heard Renell rave about it. It's, it's worth it. Um, it it takes a it takes time to cook it, but mm-hmm. the time that you are not uh, um, flaying the silver skin off of the calf okay. of a whitetail is worth it. Okay, I did not like to do that. Uh-huh. It was it got was the okay from pain. the wife. She oh loved yeah, it. my wife loved it too. That's one of those like venison diplomacy type of meals. Okay, where you have people coming over. And they're not into into eating wild game or venison. It mm-hmm. was really good. Um, mm-hmm. You take the you know I had I had packaged it up whole. Okay. So I didn't cut it into discs yet. All right. Um, I read it's easier to cut it frozen, mm-hmm. so it holds together a little bit better. I know when I when I butcher deer and stuff, I like my meat semi frozen. So this way it's 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 good enough where I know the meat's going to be easily to cut off and stuff like that, and I can also. Uh, peel the silver skin off a little bit slower mm-hmm. without uh, without having to have too much flexibility in the flesh. Yeah, but like when you know, I had I had packaged it and froze it whole. Okay. And then vacuum sealed it. I do a lot of vacuum sealing, and we went, uh, you know, sliced it in about uh, three inch discs. Okay. Bri- uh, fried it on all sides to get okay. the crust. Uh-huh. There's the the recipe for the uh, I believe it's braising fluid. I'll be able to show you. I got the book in the on the book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you use it in the use the sauce. And we had uh, sliced up some polenta, 
put a quick fry on that and then ate that together and yeah that's one of those we had i think we had asparagus with it as well i mean it was just phenomenal and yeah and the whole time i'm eating this and i'm like this is the t-, and it was so tender you know this is the toughest meat on an animal mm-hmm. is this portion on any animal yeah that's the toughest tasting toughest meat you're gonna get and this is delicious and i could not believe it it was it's fantastic it was very, very good i even took uh some of the marrow out of the bone and put it on the i was wondering about it i was too. like i was playing with the idea uh, i was talking to my fiance about it so where'd you get your marrow out of which like what bones you grab it from um or what's the best bone to grab it from i should say I guess um, the femur bone is the best, but like when you're making the asabuco, you still have that bone in there too mm-hmm. in your leg. Mm-hmm. And that um, I just grabbed a, a chunk out of there with the with the steak knife and spread it on the meat and ate that with it too, and that was really good. Too. So what type? What is it? What flavor? What kind of texture does it add to the meat? I don't know so much of a texture. Adding the marrow adds like a little bit of a buttery flavor to it. Okay. Um, but I mean, it's 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 a neat recipe to try, mm-hmm. um, and and have fun with it. The sauce is delicious. I believe I actually, I took the sauce that the meat was was braising in, and we had we ended up uh, putting it in a crock pot after we after we browned all the sides. Okay, I I misspoke. We didn't put it in the oven. We put it in the crock pot, and the the leftover juices that it was sitting in. Mm-hmm. I put that and package that up because it tastes so dang good. I use it as a soup. Interesting. That's a good way of reusing it because I was thinking maybe even an au jus for something different down the road too as well. Yeah, it could definitely, it would definitely work for that too. I believe we put um, some macaroni noodles in it and now we have asabuco soup leftover in the freezer right now. So um, it, it, it was phenomenal. It's going to be a good idea for tomorrow for how cold it's going to get and for all snoring to that. So that sounds like a good uh, lunch. I don't know. We'll <laughs> we'll pull that out. I got my uh, my lovely wife in the kitchen planning on what she's gonna cook tomorrow. She's a she's the 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 cooker in the house. She's an, an amazing cook mm-hmm. and is phenomenal at trying different stuff and making it healthy and wild game and duck uh-huh. and goose and we haven't done the squirrel yet, but uh, that might be coming up shortly. Hot wings with squirrel. That'd be interesting, especially if you do like on a, on a low bake for a, like a 200 degrees for a two or three hours. I think that'd be really good. And, and add like I would, I would spice it up instead of using like a Ruby wants to talk to us and say hi, everybody. <laughs> uh, I think it'd be a really good, interesting way. It's like I wouldn't want to put someone with a vinegar base on it. I want to put someone who has a natural heat to it mm-hmm. and you're really bring out the that uh, unique dis- dis- uh, uh, flavor of the squirrel. Yeah, we'll see. We got a couple squirrels in the freezer from this fall, so mm-hmm. we'll see what we can do. That might be something we could play around with tomorrow after we're getting all the snow and the ice and the wind, and we're going to be holed up in the house here for a while. So Yeah, I don't blame him. Kind of, I, was looking at, I was looking at the weather because like it was forecast to arrive today, but it's actually not going to happen until in the morning, so it's like looking at 1 o'clock or so. Well, that was the last time I said that it's expected to arrive here because it's really interesting in how all it's, all it's going to be forming with – with everything so it's like uh, we can definitely tell spring is upon us and like come to find out like this was the first year uh phil didn't see his shadow in like 18 years oh really yeah it's like i don't really believe in that kind of folklore mm-hmm. and so but it was, it was it was just interesting to hear that was the first time in 18 years it's like wow i don't know i don't know if what uh hedgehog it is right now and the whole thing but you know it's uh 
no groundhog sorry and just hearing that it's like wow it's like 18 years like it, it makes you think it's like where was i at 18 years ago <laughs> it's like holy buckets <laughs> you gotta yeah, love dogs you know but i'm, I'm really <laughs> excited to see like you hopefully this upcoming duck season you'll be able to get ruby out and get her around some more ducks and maybe have to reach out and maybe find somebody else that that, that has a, like i know um, my old roommates uh, dad and son, they love duck hunting. I mean, these guys bag out all attack. Like they just they go out to South Dakota or North Dakota, right there on the Minnesota border, right there coming through there. Mm-hmm. And they 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 it's just you can't miss. I mean, even you guys like us could actually probably <laughs> hit our bag limit in a matter of hours. They said every time they go out there, they go out in the morning, they hit their limit, and that's just the rest of the day to go out and do. They'll go out and do pheasant hunting along with it too. And like they just mm-hmm. it, it has it's a three or four day trip, but it's just absolutely a, amazing time for those for those two guys to, to maintain it. It's kind of unfortunate that their old dog um, Gus is now retired, but they brought a new one in Whiskey, and he's 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 rising to the occasion. Yeah. They're definitely putting him to work. Good, good. Yeah, that's something to. We'll we'll uh, put Ruby to work here in the fall, but she's she's got a pretty rough life. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we're at an hour forty. I think unless you have any final thoughts, I'm I'm good to go. I I think I'm good to go. There we go. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. Greatly appreciate. It. We'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>